When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is Thursday, September 8th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. You know it's going to be a good day when you're watching on YouTube and the music is flying by. When the music is in double time, it's going to be a great day. I'm caffed up. Or you drank a lot of coffee. <laughs> I feel great. Got one show already recorded today. This is show number two. All right. All warmed All up. Right. Yep. I've seen what the pitchers got. I'm, ba- I'm taking the kids to their first concert that they chose tonight. Imagine Dragons is was their choice. And in fact, the cousins from Hawaii have flown in to see Imagine Dragons with them. So this is turning into an epic level event that they'll remember their whole lives, probably. <laughs> and now that they're petitioning us to leave them alone in their seats, because we had to, the cousins sort of came on in the second half, so they bought seats a little bit further away from us. So now they're all saying, let the kids be alone. And the adults, you know, leave them alone for like a set or something. And so it makes me nervous because my little one is seven, but he'll have his older cousins there and they have phones and, you know, there'll be strict rules and, you know. What are the odds that you end up a fan of Imagine Dragons after seeing a live show? I've had to to listen to a lot of it and I will say that it wasn't my favorite music coming in. I think they're okay, and and uh, I have a feeling I'm going to like their show, because I've heard that their shows are good. They seem like one of those sort of like big, they like to do things big. There's going to be lots of lights, and they're going to stomp around, and I bet, you it'll, I bet you it'll be pretty good. Yeah, if you show up on Monday wearing an Imagine Dragons t-shirt, <laughs> I'm going to assume you've joined the cult. <laughs> yeah, I... Uh, I wonder what my parents will think because I was the kind of kid that uh, went with with my parents to concerts. So I saw, you know, David Bowie, Miles Davis, uh, you know, uh, Rita Marley, uh, The Grateful Dead with my dad and The Fish with my dad. So, um, you know, Madden Dragons does not really fit that. Bill. <laughs> no, my parents didn't listen to the Mom, same music who took as me your to parents. David Bowie. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, we took the kids to a concert of our own music and we took them to my morning jacket and that was pretty good. Um, but, um, you know, this is their choice. Hey, enjoy. And you know what my first choice was? I think the first one I chose, I can't remember the timing exactly, but I think it was Soul Asylum, Screaming Trees and Stone Temple Pilots. And I tried to dye my hair red like like Wayland, like Scott Wayland, but I didn't actually uh, bleach it first, so it just turned in sort of like a, a brown purple. Yeah, you gotta you gotta put the base coat on first. Not that I'm an expert in <laughs> yeah. hair coloring, but yeah. yeah. How many times have you frosted those tips? <laughs> I graduated high school in 2002, so I think that probably gives you an answer to the question without me answering the question directly. <laughs> 
I'm going to plead the fifth. <laughs> yes, yes. As much information as I'm going to give you. <laughs> Let's see. First concert I would have chosen, probably a Dave Matthews Band concert. Again, high school kid graduated in 2002. Oh that was kind of uh, the peak, I would estimate, for Dave yeah, Matthews Band. Yeah, I graduated band. in 97. I saw, I saw Dave Matthews Band. Allman Brothers, Dave Matthews Band, and even the guy, Margaritaville guy. Jimmy Buffett. Jimmy Buffett. That was a big. That was, I went to prep school in in Boston. You know, those are those were like those are the concerts we all went to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was the first concert I chose. Best concert I've ever been to. Tom Petty and Pearl Jam. Ooh, kind of not even close actually. Which probably means I need to go to more concerts in the future. <laughs> it's not knocking their music at all. It's just it's a snap. Like that was by far the best show that I've been to. Paul McCartney right up there too. I mean, I. Mm. It's hard to go wrong uh, at a Paul McCartney show at this point, even even though he's, what, 75, 80 years old? It's amazing. I hope I'm half as good at anything when I'm that age as Paul McCartney is. Best show I've ever been to. Man, I saw The Shins with 500 people in Paris. Okay, uh, so the, the context was huge. Yeah, there. I tend to think about context a lot. Like, I, I saw one of my first concerts was Burning Spear in Jamaica uh with like 500 people and like outside and you know i was i won't say what age i was but i was having a beer and i shouldn't have been <laughs> so it was fun um you know there's always yeah i i tend to think of who i was there with uh you know what the sound was like and stuff and cuz you know i've seen some big names in big in big arenas where i was like uh one thing, I think Radiohead uh, was really impressive. I've seen them like two or three times, and sometimes even at festivals, outdoors, which are a lot of times I'm I'm skeptical about those arrangements because I like indoor sound better. Uh, it's more sort of full body sound, you know? Um, and then festivals, you're you're like, oh, I have to go see these people next. I'm, oh, we have to, you're like, it's always like so structured. You're like, oh, I got to run here. And then at three o'clock, I got to be over there. And like, there's all this stuff. But Radiohead, I've seen them three different times in like arenas and festivals. And every time I was like, yeah, they're, they're freaking good. It's a good call. I've never seen Radiohead. Wish I had because I think they would put on a, a fantastic show. So music talk aside. Oh, one more music thing. <laughs> they do have a game kind of like you know Wordle and uh, MLB Pickle, which was called Wordle for a little while. MLB Pickle's the baseball one. They have one on Spotify called Hurdle where it's basically named that tune mm. and it plays a segment of a song. Usually the first segment's like a second. So you're getting a few notes at most med like jammed in oh, there until you get a little bit more. Yeah. And I think you get and seven you or eight and... turns to get it. And uh, I had an ace on, on Wednesday on your first try. I heard I got one on, on the first, first try. Wow. Yeah. I didn't think that was ever going to happen because it's such a, a small, small tidbit. I got to so. try it, but I know I'll be super bad at it. I just don't have the memory for that sort of thing. I'll basically spend the whole time I'm supposed to be guessing going, oh, it's um the one with the um Yeah. yeah. Oh, 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 wait, 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 wait. <laughs> it's on the tip of my tongue. <laughs> I'm such an old man. <laughs> Top 40 music from the last 15 years, my chances of, of getting the correct answer are very low. So there's no I'm, very not, limited I'm not the biggest radio window. listener either. So but my my sister in law, she would kill it. Fun game, though. Highly recommend it. So on this episode, actually a lot of baseball to talk about. Uh, I started looking at a stolen base leaderboard again uh, on Wednesday night, and I noticed that the best 
sources of stolen bases are nearly all good players now, which I don't think has always been the case. We have plenty of flawed players, guys that might post a 70 to 80 WRC plus, but because they can run, because they're on a bad team, they get lots of playing time. Maybe some of those players have been good defenders, so that's also helped prop up their playing time a bit in the past. Uh, I kind of like this because it means we're not as likely to have to draft a bad player in the early rounds just to satisfy our need for stolen bases, right? So if you take a look at a stolen base leaderboard as of today, you got two players already with 30 bags, Cedric Mullins and Jorge Mateo, two Orioles. Uh, Mateo is basically the exception to this when you're looking at the very top of the leaderboard. Everyone except for Mateo, who has reached the top... 15 in stolen bases this year has uh, a WRC plus above 100. I guess there's a tie for 17 steals. So I guess Isaiah Kiner-Falefa also fits into the Mateo mold. But most players, especially the guys that have 20 plus bags, have been extremely productive hitters aside from their stolen base contributions. And I, I like that because it makes me worry less about stolen bases in the future compared to how much I've worried about it in recent seasons. Yeah, the approach that I took in most leagues has been uh, really successful, you know, to try and get good players that will steal you 10 to 15 bags. Uh, I, I've actually found myself, I think in my main, I'm number, I'm first in stolen bases. <laughs> I didn't, and I didn't draft a single player being like, oh, I need stolen bases. You know, I was just like, just get them along the way. Um, and, uh, you know, so... I think that's the best takeaway from all this going forward is just to to try and draft good players uh, with speed um, as long as you can, because eventually at the end, you're going to take the guys with no speed uh, anyway. Um, you know, and those are going to be the values as you go deeper into the draft. But I was looking at uh, 650 OPS as the line. Um, you know, Jeff Zimmerman has, has shown that, that basically 650 OPS is where you start to lose your job. And there are only there are only 13 hitters with less than a 650 OPS that were qualified for the batting title. Almost all of them lost their jobs. Uh, let's see here. It, let's let's focus on the ones with steals. Um, but uh, in the 13 uh, players that uh, actually, that's not right to say that they lost their jobs because they're qualified for the batting title. So they have made it to 400 plate appearances, but. Would you consider like Adam Frazier or Tony Kemp or Nicky Lopez uh, or even Jonathan Scope, would you consider them regulars at this point? They at least have one foot in the grave, you know, quote unquote. Yeah, I, I guess I see them all as super subs that might be playing more than they should because of the state of their respective teams. But looking forward... I don't think any of those guys project to be 500 plate appearance players for me next season. Yeah, I guess there's this concept of first division starter and second division starter, right? Still a thing, yep. Yeah, and I, I think you know a lot of the teams, a lot of the guys I named are on bad teams and are about to be replaced. We just, on the 3-0 show, talked about uh, Arizona, and we were pretty glowing about Arizona in general. And we said, shortstop's a problem. I don't think Geraldo Perdomo is solving that problem. Um, and we advocated for them to, you know, I was saying Swanson, you were saying Turner, like, you know, go get a shortstop. Um, 
but uh you know Nicky Lopez I think has found him has found himself sort of uh further and further away from what you might call a core in, in Kansas City uh Miguel Rojas I think was always been more of a stopgap but um I would I would think that you would push Jazz over to short to start next season uh and make Miguel Rojas a backup for the beginning of the season um I think Whit Merrifield's role is up in the air he's also probably projected to be better than uh, most of these players. Uh, but yeah, the, uh, we've re- focusing on stolen bases, Miles Straw, Nicky Lopez, and Whit Merrifield and Cody Bellinger are the only double-digit steal guys under 650 OPS. And I don't think I would draft any of them next year unless Whit Merrifield's uh, price drops precipitously. I have no idea what to make of Cody Bellinger anymore. Oh it's God. I mean, we're talking over 200 games now going back to the start of last season below the Mendoza line with something like a 250s OBP, 27 homers, 15 stolen bases combined over those over those two seasons. But just not enough, not enough evidence this season that he's going to come anywhere close to pre 2021 levels again. I think he's actually a non-tender candidate he's become that kind of player not because the dodgers can't afford to keep him but, but because they, they be can just do better more out of the roster spot yeah you give them 20 million dollars to spend towards something else and that's a pretty sizable chunk of change that they could either put into a multi-year deal for someone else or even just take a flyer on someone else as a possible bounce back candidate yeah, I mean, this year, at this point, it's a one-year, $20 million deal for a guy who has defensive ability and some versatility. Um, I think they probably just re-up him, but uh, I agree. He could end up uh, signing with, uh, you know, a Texas Rangers squad, you know, and, uh, you know, maybe some time with Donnie Ecker uh, gets him right. I Like, there's enough there for me that a new voice might actually like I, I I can't help but still look at hey he still barrels the ball pretty well he's not a guy who swings at 50% balls he's got a hole in his swing that I think people are just exploiting and he's tried all sorts of different ways to deal with that and he's not dealing with it successfully but if you look at the history of Kyle Schwarber, who had a similar hole early in his career and has had some ups and downs. He's had some sub-200 batting averages, Schwarber. Now, if you told me, I can get you someone that has done things like Schwarber in the past and can play center field, like he's obviously going to sign with a team next year. I think it'll be a second division team to be a second division starter. And, uh, if the, pri- and the price will drop even further, and I may have more Cody Bellinger shares next year. It just seems weird that I want to see him go somewhere else. If the Dodgers couldn't wanna, fix him by now, I want him, why yeah, would I they be able to, to fix him this time? A different hitting coach. <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess a, a different offseason. I'm not saying Robert Ronskoyak is bad. Like, you know, no, no, just, it's just, it's nuts that something's not right. The They've tried everything there. <laughs> that, that's the issue. It's not that they don't have the right people or that he's totally unfixable. It's that the... Player organization match just doesn't seem to be there right now. They can't get him right. So the optimism would probably be there 
if he landed somewhere else, but it has to be a good somewhere else. It's not just, oh, he's on a bad team and he's going to play a lot. It's we also believe in this organization being capable of fixing a player. And also the fresh start thing. This is, uh, I'm going to put my Ian Khan hat on here a little bit. So they did this thing where they mic'd up Mookie Betts, right? And Mookie Betts is in the outfield and they ask him, who on your team needs a fashion revision? <laughs> Mookie Betts goes up to the outfield, like an outfield meeting. So it's him, Cody Ballinger, and maybe Chris Taylor. I forget. Maybe Trace Thompson. Anyway, he comes up and he says to Cody Ballinger, I think the answer is you. And Cody Ballinger goes, what's the question? <laughs> uh, and... Mookie Betts says, well, they're asking me in my ear, who on this team needs a fashion revision most? And I think it's you. And Cody looks sad. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, it's like awful. He he does this thing where he's like, me? Me? Are you... oh. I, think, I think my style is okay. And Mookie's, <laughs> Mookie's like, it's okay, but it could be better. And he's like, yeah, I guess it could be better. And like, <laughs> Bellinger's looking around like, is everyone looking at me kind of look, you know? <laughs> That's and terrible. It's not a good moment. And it made me think of like, what it must be to be Cody Bellinger right now, where it's like, dude, they were making videos about like, MVP season. And I was, me and Yelich, like, we're just, what, what, what happened? <laughs> and he must be super, super frustrated. And he's had little glimpses. And then they, and they're like, after he had a little glimpse, they publicly said, well, we're going to sit him down here for a couple of days. A reset. Oh, like you had a little taste of like post, post All-Star game. You're like, ooh, I had a little good week there, you know? And then something goes a little bit wrong. And they're like, we're going to sit him down for a little bit. I mean, I think that no matter what you're doing, working with him, confidence, like I talk about this with pitchers all the time. Command is confidence. I have to have the confidence to throw my stuff in the zone, right? So when Brian Wilson was doing all that stupid stuff to begin games as a closer, it's all about, it's all there, but it's a confidence game. I do all this stuff and look like this and make the face just to like have confidence and 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 retain my confidence so that I can throw I can throw a knuckleball and they won't expect it because I'm sitting out here huffing and puffing and you know looking like a crazy person. So, you know, I think on the opposite side is true. Like when you're looking for a change of uh, scenery, like let's say you're working with him and, and it's working okay in the cage and you're like, ooh, you're telling him, yeah, this is looking good, Cody. This is looking good. And he goes out there and he's, he strikes out three times. Is he going to keep doing what you're asking him to do? Or is he going to try and ask for a new thing? Or is he just going to shut down? So, I, you know, on some level, even if the coaching is good, he might need a change of scenery just to even hear the coaching because he's in a free fall. It's sad that the kind of playful, harmless sort of question that Mookie Betts gets while mic'd up finds its way to Cody Bellinger and takes whatever shreds are left of his confidence <laughs> in this moment and just <laughs> smashes them to smithereens because that's Mookie, so unfortunate. That rough, dude. <laughs> you know what you do when you when you're in that position is you take down the biggest, baddest dude in the in the in the in the clubhouse, right? Yeah, go after the guy that just got paid. Go after Freddie. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. You go, yeah, exactly. You go after Freddy. <laughs> Make fun of Freddy you, for you, you probably wearing like, the same oh, clothes that Freddy has that one shirt. Yeah, yeah. Freddy has that crazy shirt, or you know, like Freddy always wears this one shirt. You know, you got to have something in your back pocket for that because you, when you get mic'd up, you know you're gonna get asked something like that <laughs> to go after Cody. Oh man. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's pretty rough. So situation probably dictates how interested I am in a bounce back, but I actually, in a weird way, feel better about Bellinger somewhere else than I do if he stays in Los Angeles. And, you know, we'll get some clarity on that in the next couple of months. I'm looking forward to knowing more about where he actually will be. But back to the question at hand, like, you know, some of these guys that are under 650, like Cody Bellinger and Whit Merrifield, we think may project to better than 650 in the future. I I do think there's a conversation to be had about Miles Straw, who, uh, you know, still above replacement, still the center fielder for the uh, the Guardians, still sign that extension. It's only five million a year, basically, until twenty twenty six. So maybe he can be their backup center fielder. But are you drafting any shares of Miles Straw next year? He, by the way, by the auction calculator on Fangraphs, has been a below replacement fantasy player. Yeah, and that's with 16 stolen bases. It might get to 20 for the season. It's because the average is low. There's almost nothing in terms of RBIs. 25 RBIs and 501 plate appearances. That is absolutely brutal for Miles Straw. And he's Straw. exactly the kind of player that baseball seems to be moving away from. Defense only. The, the, the new baseball is we want to have power in every position. I think the other issue here is that Cleveland has a lot of young talent coming up. They may trade some of that young talent to get someone who's an ideal fit in center field as a regular. And there are multiple paths for straw to become a fourth outfielder and mm-hmm. a more of a defensive specialist. The salary. I don't think the contract stops him from it. You know? Nope. Five I don't 25. think so. And even if he's playing every day, he's stuck in the bottom of the order because he's not getting on base enough. So then you're talking about, geez, this is almost like the, Gerard Dyson seasons in Kansas City where you'd look at him and say, yeah, there's 30 steals coming there, maybe. Okay, but it's coming with less than full-time playing time, so everything else is going to hurt you. And the only Zero way... homers, man. The only way that works is if you build everything else so exceptionally well around your lineup that you've covered the missing counting stats I think the idea in New York was Isaiah Kiner-Falefa and... Uh, and Ben Rotfeld at catcher and shortstop because we have man-eating sluggers everywhere else, right? Like, we're just going to slug the crap out of it except have really good defenders at short, second and short, at short and uh, catcher. And look at us now. There's people calling for people for Oswaldo Peraza to start over Isaiah Nakayana Falefa. We were calling for Volpe to start over him. So... Um, or I won't put that on you. It was me. Uh, but you know, yeah. So Miles Straw going forward, I, I I don't know that I can get with it. Um, I was looking at uh, rest of season projections uh, with their OPS projection. Uh, John Birdie with a six seventy eight OPS. Uh, Bubba Thompson with a five ninety five projected OPS. Um. 
who else is in the danger zone? Jorge Mateo, 664 projected OPS. I do actually think he's in the danger zone for next year. If he's going to have a 660 projected OPS, that means there's a 40% likelihood that he doesn't make 650 OPS. And you know they've got Gunnar Henderson right there. Yeah. So that's a danger zone player for me. Um, who else is a danger zone player for me? Uh, uh, Corbin Carroll is projected for 700 OPS. Tyro Estrada, 709. Nick Gordon, 733. Nick, Nico Horner, 711. I think those guys are safe-ish. Yeah. I think those are good. I mean, Corbin Carroll is obviously, that's a, that's a projection that's altered by the fact that he's so young. Um, so that, I don't know how much value that projection holds for you. but I, I think I underrated John Birdie in hindsight. I think because he broke in late, I had too many questions about his offensive floor, which has proven to be higher than I thought it would be. I think I was quick to dismiss him after a down year a year ago. It was a 210, 311, 313 line from him. You know, 624 OPS below that threshold. I thought we could be done with John Birdie, but what he's done this year looks a lot like what he did when he first got that opportunity with the Marlins in 2019, and even similar to what we saw from him in the shortened season in 2020. I mean, the barrel rate's actually up at 6.6%. He doesn't chase pitches outside the zone. It, and he's it's currently, not- it's currently hurt. I think he's playing hurt even. So that slowdown, I think, you know, is just part of the ebb and flows of the season. I, I, I you know, if it's, if I'm running the Marlins, John Birdie is my starting shortstop, my starting second baseman next year, and Jazz Chisholm is my starting shortstop. Yeah, I wouldn't mind that at all. And I think he would have the the most imbalanced profile that I'd be willing to take a chance on from a speed perspective. Like, I don't think John Birdie is necessarily my first choice for how I want to build a team because mm-hmm. if he goes down and you're expecting, let's say, 35, you, 40. You like 35 to 40 bags, you're trying to get to 80 in your league or something close you to that. You think you got half of it with that one player and then he goes down. Right. That's just, that's more of a, a risk and roster construction preference i try to avoid building that way but i would say he is the most imbalanced player that i feel comfortable rostering because i think the other skills are good enough to where he doesn't completely evaporate and lose playing time i went to the second page Uh, i'm still looking at guys who are projected rest of season to have more than three stolen bases um and have that danger zone ops projection and i found some more names for you isaiah kind of left a rest rest of season ops 636 and I think just given what we were just talking about, I think he's absolutely in the danger zone. And uh, I don't know, it's more of a keeper situation, but also next year when you're drafting, I don't think I would count on Isaiah kind of left to start all year. And I, maybe that'll be obvious. Maybe we'll, maybe in the next three weeks, he'll actually lose his starting job. So we'll say, duh, you know, but you know, right now, even I would say that's the case. Um, Leody Tavares, 642, right on the line. Adolis Garcia, 691, that means there's at least sort of like a 30% chance he doesn't make a 650 OPS next year. Uh, Victor Robles, 630, so he's on the do not draft, do not resuscitate. Uh, Andrew Velasquez, uh, 607, I don't think anybody's really uh, depending on that. So anyway, some more names for you. Uh, some guys, some older guys that are that might be slipping towards uh, do not draft are Colton Wong and Manny, Manny Margot. Uh, with 690 OPS projections, uh, you know, if they fall with an aging curve, you may find they have a sort of a 660 type projection next year, which is very borderline. Yeah. Tough group uh, overall, though, because uh, it just seems like this type of player is largely being pushed away now 
what gets complicated is that we are facing an offseason where a lot of rules could change. And I think some of those rule changes could actually have an impact on the stolen base pool. So there's a few things that could change. The pitch clock, which seems very likely. The pie slice rule, which we've talked about before, which keeps uh, defenders from playing straight up the middle. Right, So you extend the corners of the second base bag out toward the outfield grass. You wouldn't allow runners to, or fielders to be in the space between the two lines, like that arced area behind the bag. And then larger bases, which have happened at all the minor league affiliates this year, going from 15-inch bases to 18-inch bases. Kind of working backwards, larger bases seem like a great thing for stolen bases because you think about how close many stolen base attempts are. You know, getting the extra couple of inches potentially for the leadoff and then getting into the bag, that will probably increase the willingness for some teams or at least certain players to take off more frequently. Yeah, I, the the bags, I think, will increase stolen bases. It's interesting because that means more stolen bases and that means it's more scarce. That means I think the strategy of taking good players that just steal a few bases is even more important. One thing that I do would want to add is that you want to have some diversity of age probably because I think stolen bases age so poorly that you could be like, oh, I'm just going to take JT Real Muto. He stole 17 bases. He's a good hitter with stolen bases. Bada bing, bada boom. He's a catcher. You know, He may steal five next year. You know, that's that's not out of the that wouldn't be out of the norm. So I think you do want to think a little bit about age and sort of some diversity of age in your lineups as you're drafting. Uh, but otherwise, I think uh, stolen bases will be more plentiful next year. I think the pitch clock will have some effect on stolen bases because we don't know exactly what the rules are going to be in terms of what the pitch clock, uh, how long the pitch clock is and how many step offs you can do and how many throws to first you can do. Uh, but the, the larger bases, it's just math. It's going to lead to more stolen bases. It led to more stolen bases in the minors. It will lead to more stolen bases in the majors. Um, so I, do you think it'll... The, the shape of that addition, though, do you think it matters? Like, will it just mean the guys who steal a lot of bases will steal a lot of bases? Or just everyone will steal a lot more bases? I think it's going to be kind of across the board. I think it, the situation is going to be just consistently better to steal a base. More yeah, because they've mathed it all out. All the teams have mathed it out. They're like, if your start, if the pitcher has this pop, you know, this time into the plate, and the catcher has this pop time, you should go. Right, and, and if, even if you reduce if the base velocity, is bigger, yeah, and if you start reducing in velocity, yeah, another little edge to the base runner. Yeah, so I, I think that I, I think it's good for the game. I like stolen bases, um, and uh, I think we'll see, and it'd be good for fantasy. I think so that we don't fetishize the stolen base so much and have to have whole pods about stolen bases yeah well that's <laughs> content <laughs> content you know move some product so i guess that's that's a good thing like no, if you, I, I, I think i want to have one team next year where i like fade stolen bases hmm. not like completely but like try to pick up all those like you know those values where you're like oh man why is cal schwarber still available you know because he doesn't steal bases. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to stick with more balanced approaches on steals because the leagues where I did that this year turned out just yeah. fine in terms of being very competitive, if not winning uh, those categories. I don't think we've talked about Cedric Mullins on this podcast at all. 
this season? Can you remember any conversations we've had about Mullins at any point? We've talked a lot about the Orioles on on the 3-0 show, and, and they've hung around in the playoff race much longer than expected. But the big step from Mullins last year was one of the big fantasy storylines of 2021. And I think we spent a good portion of the winter wondering what exactly his follow-up would look like. The speed's been there. He's already matched last season's stolen base total. 30 bags a year ago, 30 this year. Home runs have been pretty much cut in half. Still enough time to possibly get above that mark. But 30 homers last year. He's at 13 this season. We know they changed the dimensions of the ballpark at Camden Yards. Uh, Mullins being a lefty would be slightly less impacted by that than if he were a righty, even though we know that there are some opposite field home runs that would be impacted for a typical player. Um, So when you look at what Mullins has done over the course of this season, are you comfortable looking at what he's doing now and saying this is the true talent baseline, or do you think there's a, a path for him to get back closer to the power up that we saw a season ago in that breakout? I think this is him. It is a little bit of a lesson in regressing even things like barrel rate. Uh, he had barrel rates of three uh, minus three percent minus in his uh, first three attempts uh, at the big leagues. Then he had an eight percent barrel rate in his uh, in his big breakout year last year. And uh, what happens if you regress an eight barrel rate towards a three barrel rate? You get four and a half. <laughs> like it's almost it's almost uh, straight down the line in terms of what you might have projected for him. And uh, it is one of those interesting things. I think the lesson here for me with Mullins is uh, to not get caught up in the arrow next to a guy um, and just really try to appraise the value. And what I mean is, you know, you can talk about, oh, Mullins is not going to be as good as next year. Oh, he's going to regress. Yeah, the arrow is down. Like if you come and you uh, you are his age, you come into the big leagues at 26 and you finally get a chance and you do a 30-30 season, I'm sorry, the arrow is down next year. <laughs> you know, it's just, it is. However, if you just did some math and looked at the projections and actually just drafted him where he is, he's the ninth best outfielder in, in fantasy baseball this year. So if you don't sort of focus on the arrow and you focus on just a strict appraisal of the player, I think that's how you get a lot of values, right? Like, how do you get a value out of an old player? Well, you don't focus on how old he is. Like, how do you get a value out of Paul Goldschmidt? You don't focus on how old he is. You just look at the projection and say, where's that worth going? You know? Right. It's it's leveraging the price being wrong on draft day. It's not that, you know, the, the projection is usually right, but people mishandle the projection at the draft table. And I think the other part of, of Mullins, you know, this season is that the lineup is better around him too. So he's on pace to have pretty similar counting stats, slightly more RBIs, probably a similar number of runs scored. So that's actually helped really keep that value afloat for him as well. And with that stolen base pace being closer to 35 plus extra few bags makes a pretty big difference. If you, I, I think I drafted Mullins in the middle of round two of the very early draft I did with Zola, the one that starts up at the end of the previous season. That's because fine. Ninth no best ADP. outfielder. Like what, yeah. you, you probably draft him as the sixth best outfielder. So what? You know? yeah. yeah, we're doing fine in that league, and he's part of the reason why we're doing fine in that league because the right. team context all kind of worked out. We got good balance on that roster. And yeah, if you drafted him at the high point of his ADP, you're fine. He's, he's not a problem. Even even if he was your first rounder, which would be really really pushing it, I don't think I saw a lot of that. Mm. Even if he was your first rounder, you know, you got the ninth best outfielder in the first rounder. 
that means you draft him as the third best outfielder or fourth best outfielder. You did. It's not. That's not killing your team right now. I kind of think there's um there's a chance he's going to be slightly undervalued going forward because it it's like a pendulum. It goes too far in one direction and it goes too far back Again, in the other. I think it's that arrow. People see the down arrow. They look no, at Cedric Mullins and they apart. see the down arrow. Yeah, he's like not he's, as good as he was. Never going to be a 30-30 guy. Still going to be an everyday player. Lineup's going to get better. Lineup gets better. What if he, you know, what if he bounces back and has a 6% barrel rate next year? He could he could hit, you know, 22 homers. You know, even if he the stolen bases come back, you can, you're going to have a 22-30 season next year and, and call that bad? No, he'll probably be a top 10 outfielder again. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash rates23. That's linkedin.com slash rates23 for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash rates23 and get started. So we had a a question about the pitch clock, though I figure we should throw in here because it's something that we're talking about with these rule changes. This question came from Abe. Uh, Abe wanted to know, are there any pitchers you think will gain or lose quality with the pitch clock? I was watching Mike Clevenger recently, and his routine will probably need to change based on how long he takes to get set. Wondering if anyone's looked at how easy that is to do and what are the knock-on effects. All the best, Abe. So pitch clock could have a a lot of impacts uh, on our 2023 season, and it's interesting that you can look a tempo leaderboard now Statcast has that over at baseball savant and you can look at bases empty you can look at runners on base and you see a pretty big difference a lot of pitchers are probably six to eight seconds slower with runners on base that seems to be the the normal distribution there and what's interesting is you were looking at the pitch clock in the minor leagues and what's likely to be implemented at the big league level we don't know what the specific times are going to be but they're using 14 seconds in the minors right now with no runners on base and no starter has a tempo at or below 14 seconds. There's some guys that are very close, guys under 15, 15 starters under 15, uh, 15 seconds. But it would be a pretty big adjustment for pretty much everybody across the board. And it gets even worse for relievers. Relievers, as you, you can tell watching a game, they take a long time before throwing pitches. And I think that's where we'd see the greatest impact on a player's performance is with bullpen arms who are maxing out and taking a long time to do it. Yeah, I think it may have a lot to do with uh, what we see is on the aging curves of start of uh, relievers. Uh, right now, relievers are averaging 94 miles an hour. I would assume that that number goes down for like the first time ever in the pitch tracking era um, if pitch clocks are implemented. And what you'll see is somebody like Kenley Jansen is really slow. Well, Kenley Jansen 
you know, uh, was down to 90 miles an hour, went to drive line. You know, there's there's probably a weighted ball component to his recovery of two to three ticks after that low point. Uh, but it also, he also got a lot slower on the mound. Uh, and that's what that's what you do. You you wait as long as possible between uh, your max reps, basically, on the mound. Uh, so I would assume that uh, older relievers will uh, be a little bit worse of a bet if this is implemented next year. Um, but to your point on the starting pitchers, I, I think it is going to be a tough one. P- I think people will focus on Shohei Otani, uh, 21 seconds, Michael Kopech, 21 seconds, Corbin Burns, 21 seconds. Um, and that might be a little bit of folly because A, they're so good, or at least Otani and Burns, they're so good that if they lost you know, 0.2, 0.3 miles per hour off their fastball, they're still going to be good. Uh, maybe someone like Luis Garcia, who you know, in my model has a 99 stuff plus uh, as it is and has a big home away split when it comes to that stuff plus and is also losing a little bit of stuff plus over the course of the season and we've seen him sort of be fatigued at the end of seasons. That's where maybe, yeah, okay, you know, Luis Garcia, Paul Blackburn, uh, they're real slow. Um, you know, I could, Chris Archer, you know, on those fringe cases, I could see it, but I think it'll be more of a blanket type thing because if you're, you're right, like you, there's nobody who's under 14. So even someone who's fast, like Cole Irvin or Aaron Ashby or Logan Webb, yeah, it'll be a lesser adjustment for them. Um, Shane Bieber, but uh, it'll still be an adjustment to them. They're still going to have to cut a half second off of that because you can't average 14.0. <laughs> you know? That's that's the number you're supposed to you throw it by. So you, everyone's going to have to at least shave a, a second off of uh, their tempo. And uh, and I, I, I don't know. I, I'm not going to draft Cal Quantrill because he's fast. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like It's, it's one of those things that'll be really hard to model. Um, and, and I may have an eye on this when it comes to, you know, where will I rank Mitch Keller, who is fast, you know, uh, 15 second tempo versus uh, Austin Voth, who is slow. Right. Otherwise, similarly skilled pitchers. Maybe this is a tiebreaker sort of consideration. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know how I will represent that on my, draft sheet i may just have a column that has tempo on it just so i can uh just eyeball it but uh you know in terms of modeling it uh maybe some teams are doing this yes teams will be doing it. you know why because free agencies happen and mm-hmm. you know they will they'll have some sort of model in place where they think they can project maybe the velocity of a starting pitcher given a certain tempo because they have minor league data right so they can see what happened to their minor league pitchers below when the clock was implemented. That's complicated because these guys are coming up, they're young, they're developing. It's going to be some pretty noisy data, though. You know who's going to get a contract at age 40 with all of this? Who's fast? Jesse Chavez. <laughs> He's super fast. He also throws the ball like 88. But that's, see, that's, the, that's the thing I... Brent Suter is really fast, too. I mean, I, I, I'm yeah. looking at the leaderboard. He's third fastest among pitchers with at least 25 pitches thrown, 100 pitches thrown. Yeah, I, I set the, the threshold really low to see like who, who cruises. I figured Suter was going to be at or near the top of that leaderboard. He's third among uh, all the players on the board here. If you don't throw hard, 
that's one way to gain an advantage because you're throwing off the the timing and the comfort level of the hitter. You go in the go in the opposite direction. It's kind of funny that the Brewers have a few other guys that they don't throw particularly hard. I mean, Ashby has decent velo, but not elite velo, right? So he's Wade he's Miley, quick. Dude. Wade Miley is quick. Um, Jason Alexander's been filling in as a back end starter. Eric Lauer, who's not doing it with velocity, a little more deception. He's fast. So Adrian Hauser is fast. I've always kind of wondered. The Brewers like, are kind of fast, huh? Ashby's fast. It's except for Burns fast. and Woodruff, they're slow. <laughs> yeah. So it's almost, they're kind of like, hey, if you're really good and you've got great stuff, go slow. If you don't have very good stuff, go fast. Better, better to keep the batters on their heels, right? Yeah. Yep. So <laughs> if you're throwing you, 89 anyway. <laughs> yeah. What are you waiting for? 89 and a half? <laughs> Just go. Just keep going as fast as you can because that's actually going to uh, you know, give you the best possible results. So I do think there's going to be an impact. I, I think it's going to be worse, though, on the relievers. Because if you look at only relievers, the slowest people you see are almost all short relievers. Kenley Jansen, extremely slow. 26.1 seconds between pitches with the bases empty. Giovanni Gallegos up there at 26. Um, a lot of older ones too. Leon, a lot of older guys. Strickland. Yeah. Devin Williams is up there. Is the tenth slowest. Taken forever. Chapman slow. Ryan Presley is slow. It's not surprising. Ryan Helsley is slow. A lot mm. of your great shutdown relievers, Class A, Kimbrel. But who could afford to lose a, a tick or two in some cases? I mean, you're, the difference from where relievers are. To where they would need to be with a 14 second clock is massive. That's not going to be 0.2 miles per hour. It's going to be more, I think, in these cases. There are six relievers under 14 out of 579. And one of those is Wade Miley, another is Sam Long, another is Brent Suter, which are kind of relievers slash starters, you know, somewhere in between. <laughs> so Kirk McCarty. Bo Solcer and Jesse Chavez. I have it. I have it set on a hundred pitches minimum. They're the only ones under fourteen. <laughs> oh my gosh! But I again, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go all, all the way and draft. Uh, who are some relievers that are fast? You know, Nick yeah. Sandlin, Reaver San Martin. No, Reaver I'm, San Martin. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not advocating for that at all. I, I think it's going to change the way pitchers train this off season if they're. Yeah, they're all it. gonna have to. They're all gonna have to simulate this. And know? I wonder, do you do you think they would consider at first implementation trying seventeen or eighteen seconds? I think so. I and think then so. seeing how that goes, making sure they don't break a bunch of pitchers. Oh yeah, it seems and then possibly speeding it up some more. Yeah, do whatever you want in the minor leagues. Those guys, they don't have a union. <laughs> Man, <laughs> thank God that's changing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but I, I do think uh, I do think that the union will soften some of these things. The big base, I don't think anyone feels like it's going to hurt them. No, I mean, I just I feel when so I play softball, which happen. is slow. Like I, having more space around the bases seems just like a good safety thing, so you don't run into people. Yeah, I think it'll be especially, yeah, especially helpful at first base too, where mm-hmm. you know they've had that issue of of you're supposed to be like running in the baseline, but then the the base is in play so it's like you're kind of crossing a line at some point a bigger base would help with that and i don't know the uh oh the last one was the shift rule um which we which we haven't discussed too much we talked about uh the the pie slice rule as how it would affect hitters but there is a larger game effect that actually ties back in 
uh, to our discussion about OPS and steals and, and how the game will look with regard to that, which is the pie slice rule may go into effect next year. We, we know that some sort of shift rules are going into place. And we also know that just saying that two people had to be on each side of second base and couldn't be in the outfield grass. We knew that that we know that that did not make much of a difference in minor leagues in terms of balls and play and all that. What did make a difference was uh, extending the lines past second base and creating that sort of pie slice behind second base. That brings a lot of singles back in. Well, what happens to your old big? What happens to your O'Neill Cruz? Uh, what happens to your uh, J.P. Crawford? Maybe what happens to your D.D. Gregorius? Uh, what happens to your Ahmed Rosario, your Kyle Farmer? These are poorly rated defenders at short. What happens if you're telling them you can't shift over there? They're going to look worse, I think. I mean, I know OA is supposed to be adjusted for starting position, all that stuff, but okay, not that necessarily they'll look worse than the numbers. Their impact will be worse on the team. They could be the same players, but you can't mitigate how bad they are on defense by putting them in the right place as much anymore. Now they have to stand, you know, eight feet away from where they normally would stand or five feet away from it. So I think there will be some like uh, added emphasis on defense. I'm not sure how quickly it'll happen. Like, will O'Neill Cruz not play shortstop next year because of the pie slice rule? Will Ahmed Rosario be off of shortstop next year because of the pie slice rule? Will Luis Garcia not play shortstop next year because he's the worst defender by OAA at shortstop? Um, how much of this is a year-to-year thing? J.P. Crawford had good numbers defensively until this year. Maybe there's just something weird going on with him bodily-wise this year. So I don't know what this means in the short term. I think it's a little bit easier to think about uh, maybe prospects and like you know value defense a little differently going forward. If you want a guy to stick it short, I don't think you want to hear anything about them maybe moving off the position later. I think that that sort of timeline will change. You understand what I'm saying? Like, like Carlos Correa, if he was coming up right now and they were saying, "Oh, we think he'll turn off, you'll sh- come off a short." I think with the new rules, he'd be more likely to debut at third. Yeah, that's uh, it's a lot to think about. I mean, I think in the case of a team like Cleveland, where they've got a ton of middle infielders coming up, maybe that puts Ahmed Rosario in greater danger of, of losing some maybe playing time. Ahmed somehow. Rosario goes and replaces Miles Strawns. <laughs> They've, they've dabbled they in that, it though. And bit, yeah. it doesn't, I don't know if that's really the future. I think that's just more likely to lead to a trade because Rosario's been a good offensive player this year. But uh, I think it really depends on the next best option you have and, and where you're at as an organization, right? So yeah. I think with O'Neill Cruz, the duration of the, the experiment of playing him at shortstop lasts until you are contending again. I don't think they're contending in 2023. They'll be better, but... I think they're still another year away from kind of having a year, maybe like what the Orioles had this year. So you would probably just say, it's fine. We're going to just see how he does. And we want more information. We know if we move him to right field, he's got a great arm. He's going to be fine in right field. We've, we've, we know enough about him to know that. What we don't know for sure is that he can't play shortstop. So yeah, we let's, gotta, let's yeah, solve they're that. Gonna keep, that's right. I don't think it's going to happen next year. Also, like from the perspective of keeping him engaged and in the game and, you know, at at at, uh, at the top end of his uh, possible outcomes. Yeah, you just do it. You know, 
One more topic to get to here. We've got a question about Joey Bart, and uh, this came from Ryan. Joey Bart has really seemed to change his approach in August. More aggression, more contact, leading to the lowest monthly strikeout rate of his short career, and by far the best month of Woba in his short career. Looks like he's doing all his damage against fastballs, but it is a lot of damage. Is this something sustainable? Have we been too quick to count Bart out? Curious if he'll be a useful sub $5 keeper in auto new fan graphs points. Thanks, Ryan. Um, I'll admit I was pretty much ready to say the Giants needed to think about who their next catcher was going to be. Uh, and that was probably just about two months ago. And it lined up perfectly with Joey Bart looking different. Ever since he's come back from a demotion to AAA, the quality of those plate appearances has been better. I actually watch the Giants a lot more now living out here than I ever have in the past. And you can see it, and you can kind of see, again, putting an Ian Con hat on, just a lot more confidence in Bart. You can actually see the way people react to him around the team is different. Yeah, he looks better. He definitely... Everything, like, it just, it but, all looks better. But it, what's weird is, I thought, you know, the, the, it's interesting that the question said, you know, aggression. I thought that he stopped swinging at balls, and, you know, the last time I looked at his rolling, uh, you know, O-swing... On fan graphs, it was way down. It's back up. So he is swinging at 40% pitches outside the zone again. Um, and that doesn't seem to matter too much. Yeah, like it, like he the, the, the thing is untapping his power. Uh, I remain uh, I remain a little bit skeptical that a guy with that many that much swing and miss in his game is going to uh, is going to make it as more than a backup. And there's you know, for what it's worth, there's a enough of a like a nervousness or uh, what's it called? Uh, scrambling for a catcher <laughs> uh, in the game in the sort of acquisition logs for the uh, for the Giants that I don't think that they think, you know, that catcher is a sure thing. One nice thing is the one thing, the number that's going down all the way is that strikeout rate. Uh, he's more at sort of a 25 to 30% rate since he came back. And that's been for, for real. So what, what are we looking at here? We're talking about a, like an 8% walk rate, a 25 to 28% strikeout rate, uh, 300 OBP, 400 slugging. Yeah, I, I think we're probably looking at a player that is tracking into Mike Zanino territory, maybe with a lower K rate, maybe. But peak Mike Zanino ends up being a pretty good player. In the years where he has good luck on balls in play, he finds a way to hit 250. And in his best power seasons, he's popped 33 home runs as recently as last year. So uh, that all seems like pretty good outcomes for Bart relative to how low things had had become just in the first half of this season even. Yeah, yeah. And the key to being Mike Zanino is hitting a ton of fly balls. <laughs> so that when you make the contact, uh, it is in the air. So one last rolling graph I want to check for Joey Bart is the fly ball rate. Oh, and look at that. That's up to 40%. So I would want to see him keep pushing that, keep staying above 40%, and even push it into 45%. Just be a guy that is always looking to homer. <laughs> yeah, embracing being a three true outcome sort of player might be. What okay. was the what was the keeper question? What was the number? Uh, five bucks in auto new. Uh, or too under much five, for me, man. 
I mean, if it was one or two, because in Auto New, you it adds two dollars. So if he is five bucks, then he's seven bucks next year. And I think there's going to be some catchers on the you know you can draft next year for less than seven bucks. That'll be fine. I I'm a little more optimistic because I think the playing time is going to be there. I think he'll be among the good cheap catchers. But yeah, depending on how much the price increases, how quickly, then it might not be a ton of long term value. It might be more of a short term solution for you in 2023 that is going to do it for this episode yeah of thanks Rates to the dogs jeez yeah come on thanks thanks for getting on the podcast today dogs they have made I did tell you their the cousins were in town <laughs> yeah what's going on up there uh they're actually the cousins have been over for so they've smelled them before and they're fine with them but this time they've come with their father instead of their mother hmm. so this is all about the father i think Yep, that's a, that's a big change for the aspiring good boys. They're they're working on it. That's the important thing. If you'd like to send us an email, ratesandbarrels at theathletic.com is the best way to do that. You can find Eno on Twitter at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. Get a subscription to The Athletic for a dollar a month for the first six months at theathletic.com slash ratesandbarrels. Enjoy the weekend. We're back with you on Monday. Thanks for listening. <laughs>